Oh, I almost didn't give a word of grace this morning because we're going to be talking about the law and you'll understand why perhaps in a little bit. I thought maybe I'll just not give a word of grace first, but then, nah, I couldn't do that. <laughs> it just goes against the grain. You are chosen by God to receive faith and to understand the truth of God that enables you to live godly lives and that gives you confidence that you have eternal life. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you are God. And all too easily our pride gets in the way of allowing you to be God in our lives. Forgive us. We recognize that without you, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Without you, we have no hope. But with you, we shine like the stars of the morning. With you, our hope is assured. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In case you haven't figured it out, we are again back in the series on the stained glass windows. We've covered in last spring the creation and the fall. Last week, we began the one on the Ten Commandments, so it's a sub-series on the Ten Commandments. And last week, we discovered that the law was never given apart from grace. In fact, the law was bathed by grace. And I had several of you say, that, that really was a different perspective, Pastor Gary. And I appreciate that comment. For those of you who weren't here briefly, when God called Moses up to the mountain before he gave the law, that really was an act of grace for him even to talk to Moses out of the mountain because when man sinned, they were sent away from the gardens because they couldn't be in God's presence and live. We discovered that when God gave the law, he didn't begin with, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He began with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of, Israel, uh, out of, the land of bondage, the house of bondage. He reminded them that he was giving the law to redeemed people. We discovered that not only did God give the law up in the mountain, but he gave the, sacrimonial law, the ceremonial law too and the sacrifices which were to be done so that man could find forgiveness and cleansing. And that the law was placed inside the ark under the mercy seat, that God never gave the law apart from grace. And finally, we discovered that at the very heart of the law is the Sabbath commandment, which reminds us to depend upon God as our creator, but also to depend upon him as our redeemer, the one who sanctifies us. With that in mind, we are now going to look at the law itself. We're going to look at the law itself. But before we do, I just want to just want to show the differences between the generations. And it's not hard to do. If you have a MP3 player to listen to your music, would you just raise let me change that. If you don't have an MP3 player to listen to your music, would you raise your hand? There's a number. Or an iPhone or any of that kind. If you don't use MP3s, okay? If you do not use MP3s, raise your hand. Okay, there's a number. All right. Before there were MP3s to listen to music, there were CDs to listen to music. Probably most of us have listened to music on our CDs, right? Before there were CDs to listen to music, 
There were cassette tape players to listen to music. How many of you have never listened to a song on a cassette tape? Would you raise your hands? I'm looking primarily over here where the youth are. Okay. Before there were cassette tape players, for a very, very brief period of time, there were what? Eight-track players. If you own an eight-track player, you sit on it. It's going to be worth more and more, not less and less. Okay? How many of you had eight-track players, snake-track tapes? A few. Before there were eight-track players, there was the record machine, the phonograph. And they used these things in two types. This, for those of you who were born before the 1980s, that's called a record. It's a piece of black plastic. There were two types. There was the 78 record, the long play. It was 78 revolutions per minute. It spun with the needle picking up the sounds and putting it through the speakers. And then there was the 45, the smaller version, 45 RPMs. The 78s were used when a, a number of songs would be, be played one after the other. But it was the 45s that the musicians liked because that's where they got the majority of their money. You see, uh, they would put on side one or side A, they would put the most important new song they wanted people to buy. On side B, they would put a second song they didn't think would be quite as good, but they needed something on the other side. They sold them. And sometimes it worked out, and sometimes the side B became more important than side A. Or sometimes they were both equally important. But because of how the 45 RPMs sold, that's how they figured out what was the most important and most liked song on the hit parade, was because of which one sold the most 45 RPMs. Any of you remember those days? Well, you know what, young people? It's not that different. iTunes sells songs individually because they can make more money that way now. Nothing much has changed. Keep that illustration of side A and side B in mind, won't you? We'll come back to it. We're going to begin looking at the law itself. But I want to begin by looking at the nature of the law. The nature of the law. We talked about it a little bit last week. The law reveals God's character. The law reveals God's character. Romans 7 verse 12 says, and we looked it up last week. You can look it up later. It says that the law is holy, just, and good. And isn't that what God's character is all about? He is holy, just, and good. Jesus was being confronted by the scribes and Pharisees one day in the Sadducees. Turn to Matthew 22, verses 34. Matthew 22, 34, page 828 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 22, verse 34. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had been trying to catch Jesus and, and to trip him up, and the Sadducees had asked him about the resurrection after the Pharisees had failed in trying to trick him about paying taxes to Caesar. 
And then one of the Pharisees figured out that the Sadducees had been silenced by Jesus' response, and he, so he came to Jesus trying one more time to trip him up, and he said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, two things about this passage. First of all, we try to kind of narrow things down when we read our Bibles. Is the law here talking about the ceremonial law? Is it talking about the moral law? Is it talking about the health law? Is it talking about just regulations? What, what, what is it? I want you to notice, Jesus says, he asked him, what's the greatest law? And he says, everything depends on the two commandments, love to God and love to your fellow man, and all the law and prophets are included in that. That means all the Old Testament. All the Old Testament. You see, when we refer to the Ten Commandments as merely being the only part of the law God's given us, we, we sometimes make a mistake. Because, as it says in the Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 8, the Dictionary, most of the time when it talks about the law, it's talking about the entire revealed will of God. When Jesus said in, in, in John 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, he is not just referring to the Ten Commandments, he's referring to them. He's also referring to what he would say later when he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, which is part of the Ten Commandments. He's also referring to the commandment when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, making disciples, and teaching them everything I have commanded to you. I think Taylor Bunch had it correctly. When he said, in reality, in his book, The Ten Commandments, he said, in reality, the Bible is the unabridged version of the Ten Commandments. Do you catch what he was saying? An abridged version is a shortened version of something. An unabridged version is the longer version. He said, in reality, Scripture in its entirety is what the Ten Commandments are really all about. I think he's right. I, I, I want you to notice, I want you to notice that when Jesus gave the answer, he says, you're to love the Lord your God and you're to love your fellow man and your neighbor as yourself. Since God is love, he's saying, your response of how to obey the commandments is to respond to the God of love who gave the commandments. Do you catch that? The Ten Commandments were given with our best interest in mind. And when you really analyze the two tablets, often refer to the, the first part is our duty towards God and our second part our duty towards our fellow man. And we'll talk a little bit about that next week, that word duty. I, I want you to notice that uh, it's talking about how we relate to God out of love and how we relate to our fellow man out of love that that's really what the commandments are all about. And so, the Ten Commandments in their very nature is a revelation of God's character. We talked last week about the fact that the Ten Commandments are, are a revelation that is eternal. 
that before the Ten Commandments were ever given, Cain knew that he should not have killed his brother Abel, right? We talked about the fact that before the Ten Commandments were ever given, Judah knew that it was immoral to find a prostitute to sleep with. Before the Ten Commandments were ever given, they knew it was wrong to lie and to, to, to defame others. Before the Ten Commandments were ever given, there were sacrifices to be made when you did sin, right? So they are eternal. I, I want to quote a man by the name of Louis Burkhoff because he says something that I think we need to hear as Adventists. In talking about the law in his book on systematic theology, he says there is law and gospel in the Old Testament. There are many who believe it's not there, at least not the gospel. There is law and gospel in the Old Testament, and there is law and gospel in the New Testament. Many believe the law is not in the New Testament. He says the law comprises everything in Scripture which is a revelation of God's will in the form of a command or a prohibition while the gospel embraces everything, whether it be in the Old Testament or in the New, that pertains to the work of reconciliation and that proclaims the seeking and redeeming love of God in Christ. Did you catch that? The law, whether Old Testament or New, is in the form of a command or a prohibition, while the gospel, whether Old or New, pertains to the work of reconciliation and the seeking and redeeming love of God in Christ. And each one of these two parts has its own proper function in the economy of grace. The law seeks to awaken in the heart of man contrition on account of sin, while the gospel aims at the awakening of saving faith in Jesus Christ. The law deepens the consciousness of sin and thus makes the sinner aware of their need of redemption. You can't have the law without the gospel and grace. It's hopeless. You can't have grace without the law. It's not needed. They both are vitally important. And so because of that, we're going to look at the law for a few moments. Before we do, I just want to bring one passage of Scripture to your attention. It's 1 Timothy 1.8. I've taken it from the, the New English uh, Test, uh, the New English Translation, and this is a good translation from the original. We know that the law is good if someone uses it legitimately, appropriately. Now, if it's good if you use it appropriately, what does that leave room for? Doesn't it leave room for using it inappropriately? How do we know if we're using the law appropriately or inappropriately? That's a difficult question sometimes. I want to, to point out to you, I want to point out to you that in order to understand how to use the law appropriately or inappropriately, we need to know what the law is supposed to do. We need to know what the function of the law is. What God intended, for what purpose did he give it? And I would suggest to you that there are three fundamental functions of the law. The first two are closely linked together. They're all linked together, but the first two are closely linked together. The first one 
is that the law is our standard in the judgment. Turn, if you will, to James chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Page 1012 in your pew Bible. James chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. In James chapter 2, verse 8, James wrote, if you, really, if, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are, are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Once again, this is New Testament. The law is still in place. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're to be judged by the law of liberty. I want you to, to, to notice one other passage of Scripture that talks about the fact that the law is to judge us. It's Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, page 940 in the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. In this chapter, Paul is, is trying to show and prove that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, and he's trying to deal with those who don't know the law and haven't had the law given to them. And he says in verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by what? By the law. The law judges us. It condemns us. For all have sinned, it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And Paul goes on in his argument to try and show us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all failed and failed miserably. And so the first function of the law is that the law will be used in the as the standard in the judgment. But I want you to notice the second use of the law, and it's already been alluded to in the text we, we just read. The law leads us to Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. The law leads us to Jesus, who is the sacrifice for our sins. And that's the main point for this morning. That's side A of the law. The law leads us to Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. We find pardon and forgiveness, and we're going to look at a text in a few moments. Then there is the third function of the law. The law leads us to Jesus. The law leads us to Jesus as the one who delivers us from sin. The one who delivers us from sin, who removes sin from us. Another way of putting it, he is the one who, through his spirit, transforms us so that we can be more like him. Romans 6, verses 15 to 17 is the text that we look at somewhat next week as we deal with this topic. And so the two sides of the law that we're looking at this week and next is, first of all, the law leads us to Jesus who provides forgiveness for sin, and the law leads us to Jesus who provides power to overcome sin. Let's look at how the law leads us to Jesus. Some of you may be wondering, well, are you going to, Pastor Gary, are you going to talk about each one of the commandments so that we know what they are? Let me just make a suggestion. Most of us know what the Ten Commandments are. 
In the book Patriarchs and Prophets by Ellen White, she, she gives a very brief but very succinct statement of what each one of those laws are all about. In Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing on the chapter of the spirituality of the law, she talks about how Jesus further identified what they're all about. Go and read them yourselves. Read what the rest of the Bible has to say about those things. We're going to look at the function of the law this week and next. And the first function of the law is it reveals our need of a Savior. In the book Desire of Ages, page 308, Ellen White makes this comment. When the law was proclaimed from Sinai, God made known to men the holiness of his character, that by contrast they might see the sinfulness of their own character. The law was given to convict them of sin and reveal their need of a Savior. It would do this as its principles were applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit. This work it is still to do. In the life of Christ, the principles of the law are made plain. I forgot to, to move this forward, I apologize. Are made plain, and as the Holy Spirit of God touches the heart, as the light of Christ reveals to men their need of his cleansing blood and his justifying righteousness, the law is still an agent in bringing us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You, you see... Before someone's ever converted, it's, it's the awareness that they are sinners in need of grace, that they need something to, someone to save them because they can't save themselves that brings them to Jesus Christ. There was a point where most of us in this room have come to that place. Some of you grew up in the church and it kind of, you grew up in it and you can't point back to that time. But yet you had that awareness that, that you did need the forgiveness of Jesus. And I wish I could tell you that once you become a Christian, that the convicting power of God's Spirit, that you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, is no longer needed. Is there anyone who's gotten to the... I won't ask you to raise your hand. Just come see me afterwards. We need a deep, deep counseling session. I have had someone on a couple of occasions come to me and say, you know, Pastor Gary, I haven't sinned. One guy told me in two months. And I told him he just did. And a few months later, everybody knew he had, not just because of what he told me. You, you see, while we may be able to say like Paul and like the rich young ruler, when it comes to not killing anybody, I've kept that. When it comes to not stealing, I've kept that. You know, um, when it comes to, 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 to not murdering anybody, never done it. As to the law, Paul said, I was perfect. But then he met Jesus, and he discovered that, well, he killed in more ways than he thought. And he broke in every single one of the commandments. He said, I didn't know what it was to covet till the law said, thou shalt not covet. And I realized, boy, coveting was much more part of my life than I wanted to admit. You see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount took took the whole idea of keeping the commandments to a whole different level from just saying, okay, I, ha I haven't done this, I've done that, I haven't done this, to saying, wow, it reads my thoughts and my motives and my intentions, and it goes so much deeper that the, long, the closer I come to Jesus, the more sinful I appear in my own eyes. Do you see that at all? 
There is an aspect of the law that even after you've been a Christian for years, you begin to see new things in the law, and the law begins to expand, and you recognize that you are a sinner saved by grace and that God's forgiveness is always needed. Do you catch that point? I remember when I was growing up, and I'm among those who remember the 45 RPMs, and I remember when I was growing up, and I thought that's all the law did was condemn me. Did it very easily. Often. Righteously. And I got to the point where I felt I was hopeless because, after all, how many times can you ask forgiveness for something? The truth is, we never get away from the law revealing we need a Savior. Do we? Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said, and I am the chief one. So Paul said. And so, side A of the law is that the law condemns us because we are sinners in need of grace. We are sinners in need of grace. In his book, The 95 Thesis, page 202, Morris Venden writes, the law condemns. And when we recognize our condemnation, we realize our need for pardon. The law reveals the curse that we are under as lawbreakers and thereby prepares us to accept the good news that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Where did Paul get that? He got it from Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. It's page 974 in your pew Bible. Page 974, verse 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, the law was our schoolmaster until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ. Then you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. What Paul is saying here is that the law condemns us like a schoolmaster, a guardian who brought this pupil to the school. You see, we didn't have anything like this, but back in those days, a, a person who had a servant, when it came time for their son to go, or daughter to go to school, they would have that servant, servant take them there to make sure they got there. It made hooky really hard. And so you couldn't play hooky much. So the guardian would go there, and the guardian would stay there until school was out and then bring the, this pupil back home again. You couldn't skip out. And when Paul used that analogy, he says, just as the guardian took the child to school to make sure they would stay there and learn the lessons they needed to learn, so the law takes us to Jesus to learn from him the lessons we need to learn about what it means to trust God for forgiveness and salvation and faith. 
I, I want you to notice. It says, Paul says, there is a time when you're imprisoned by the law until faith comes. The person who never accepts Jesus Christ has three ways to, to deal with God's law and, and morality. They can say morality doesn't apply to me. It doesn't exist. And we saw a little bit of that on the TV, didn't we, on the news when people were grasping for the money that the robbers were throwing out the window saying, aha, the stimulus package is working for us now. We see it all the time when people simply say, I can choose to live the way I want, can I? Or we can accept responsibility and say, yeah, I blew it and I was wrong. Can you forgive me? Either in our relationship with each other or our relationship with God. Or we can say the law doesn't mean what it said it means. I'm going to have my own law, thank you. The only way that works is the way that Jesus gave us when he gave his law and he gave the sacrificial system pointing forward to his death and his sacrifice for you and me. I want to go back briefly to the 45 RPM. The making of the 45 RPM was done largely out of greed. I want to sell more records. I want to make more money. So I'll put on one side the song I want them to, to, to buy and listen to. The other side I'll put one that doesn't matter much. And if it's good enough, I'll put it in my album when I make the long, long, long play album with more songs in them. You see, I think some Christians have viewed the law as a 45 RPM with one good side and one bad side. And there are some who have said the good side is the fact that um, we find forgiveness and that's all they focus on. And there are some others who have said, no, the good side is that we must obey and keep it. And that's what they focus on. In reality, God's Ten Commandments have side A and side B, and they're both equally important. Side A tells us that we need a Savior to forgive us for our sins. Side B tells us we need a deliverer who can transform us by the power of his spirit and change us that we might become more like him. And if you only focus on one side, you're the one who gets shortchanged because you never become all that God called you to be. Does that make sense at all? Next week, we'll look more fully at side B. I didn't really have to tell you too much for you to get the point that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, did I? You knew that. It's as fresh as for me yesterday. I don't know about you. Next week, we're going to look at what God says about the fact that his law is holy and just and good and he gives it to us out of love and grace that we might become whole as he intended us to be. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Father in heaven, 
We thank you for your law, which protects us and guides us and, and which is given to us out of concern and love. May we appreciate it for what it does for us. It reminds us of our need of a Savior. It reminds us of what we are to become through your power. Keep us focused and in balance that we might do and be the people you called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.